So again, today in the Christian year, in the church calendar, that's the church calendar shared by Christian faith communities all over the world. It's traditionally called Christ the King Sunday. Um, and this is one of the newer pieces of the Christian year, the liturgical calendar, as we might say. It's one of the newer pieces. So if you'll just indulge me for a couple minutes, I, I want to share some of the history of this day so we can kind of place ourselves where we are. So this liturgical calendar, it's arranged around the seasons that we're, most of us or all of us are probably familiar with. They're on one pole, kind of, is Advent and Christmas, And then kind of on the other pole is Lent and Easter, right? So we're familiar with those seasons. It's kind of arranged around those and fills in the gaps between those seasons. That's basically what it is. And those seasons have their roots in really ancient church practices. So when the liturgical calendar gradually was put together over years and years, it just kind of built upon these practices that were really ancient, ancient practices, But Christ the King Sunday, today, Christ the King or Reign of Christ Sunday was established by Pope Pius VI in 1925. So it's in the whole church history. It's a very, very new holiday here. And actually, it was originally called Solemnity of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. That was a whole name for it. That would not fit on our bulletin, so I'm really glad that we're (laughs) we're going with a shorter name. But in 1925, think in 1925, over in Europe, where it was, think back to your world history classes, what was happening in 1925, especially in Europe. World War I had ended a few years before then. Europe was kind of in shambles. Hitler and those who would be called the Nazis were on the rise. Mussolini and Stalin were on the rise over there. Then there were a lot, a lot of just these inner politics and inner turmoil about how the Vatican City would relate with the Italian government, just all of this kind of mess, this geopolitical mess over there. But the big point in, in all of that, in all of that happening, Nadia Boltzweber really summed it up really well on Twitter this week. She said, Pope Pius VI established Christ the King Sunday in 1925 to counter what he regarded as the destructive forces of fascism and the totalitarian claims of all those kings and chancellors and rulers of all those nations right around the Vatican. Because what was happening is these regimes and these rulers and these ideologies that were kind of sprouting up we're starting to claim more and more of a person's life, controlling more and more of their thoughts and their beliefs and their habits and how they lived. All of these, all of these, um, all of these ideologies outside of the Christian church, outside of Christian theology, we're starting to crowd out Jesus's influence. So Pius VI, he sees this as a problem. He sees this as a problem with humanity's ultimate allegiance. Is our ultimate allegiance, our ultimate loyalty, is that to the state or the ruler or the government, or is it to Jesus Christ? If we have to choose between those two, and if we think in Germany, especially in Germany in the 1920s, with the benefit of hindsight, we can see there really was a choice there. If we have to choose, which do we choose as followers of Jesus, as Christians? So Pius VI, he instituted Christ the King Sunday 
as a yearly reminder in this invitation to self-examination, to ask ourselves, which do we choose? With whom is our ultimate allegiance? And so we've brought that forward to today because these questions have remained very, very salient up till today. But there's still a little tension here because we have this kingship language that we've preserved, not just in this day, but in a lot of our hymns, a lot of our liturgies and prayers. And kingship, we call Christ the king, and that's fine. When it was, when it was first instituted, when some of this stuff was uh, being written, that was just the kind of general zeitgeist at that time. We understood kingdoms. But kingship language, it brings with it all the, the, this weight of patriarchy and this total control, like what Miss Gwen was talking about here. And that's not what Jesus came to do or to be. So I think, honestly, I think we've done a little bit of a disservice calling Jesus king. So many churches today, we call it reign of Christ Sunday. To kind of steer clear of that Christ the king language. But even that has to be nuanced because the reign, the R-E-I-G-N, the reign of Christ is different from that of any other king or ruler. And I think our text is really clear about that. In the text before us today, I notice that Jesus never actually claims kingship, does he? He never actually claims it. Pilate asks him, are you the king of the Jews? But Jesus, he never gives a clear answer here. He talks about my kingdom, but he doesn't claim to be king of that kingdom. It's all kind of ambiguous there. Now we've got to remember where this takes place. We've got, we got to remember where and when this takes place. This story is part of the larger story that we read around Maundy Thursday and Good Friday every year. Right, That passion narrative is what we technically call it. So Jesus has been arrested. His followers have abandoned and denied him. And now he's been dragged before Pilate for trial in these chains. So Jesus doesn't claim to be king, but even if he did, it would be a laughable claim because here's Pilate, the representative of the almighty Roman Empire, and Jesus is just this poor Palestinian man, former farm boy turned itinerant preacher, in chains. He's not the powerful one here. And yet, he claims a kingdom. My kingdom doesn't originate from this world. Is how the common English Bible puts it. My kingdom is not from here. My kingdom does not originate from here. Now we've heard different versions of that saying kind of interpreted and appropriated in some different ways throughout the years. Now, now white Christianity allied with the world powers today has taken that to mean Jesus' kingdom, not from here, meaning that Jesus' kingdom begins after death when we fly away to the clouds out of this world, out of this concrete existence. That's when Jesus' kingdom begins. But I think that's a misinterpretation. Because Jesus says, if my kingdom was from here... My followers would not have allowed me to be arrested. They would have fought off these cronies that you sent to take me away. So if Jesus was claiming to be a king, 
and leading this armed rebellion against Roman rule or against the Sanhedrin. And that, that's what that title, King of the Jews, that's what that title implied, that he was leading some, some revolt, some insurrection against the power. So that's, that's the, the Roman rulers were really on the lookout for people claiming this so they could quash those rebellions before they got too big. So if that's what Jesus was doing, his followers wouldn't have let him be arrested and taken away peacefully. I mean, blood would have been spilled. Now, they probably still would have lost, but Jesus wouldn't be coming before here peacefully. But Jesus still claims this kingdom. It's just not from around here. So what he's doing here, I think that he's bearing witness to a different vision of a kingdom and a different vision of power in what it means to reign. Again, R-E-I-G-N. What it means to reign. Because we recognize, we recognize the world powers today reigning and controlling people. By, by force and conquest and coercion and violence, no matter what form of government it takes. But Jesus says, that's not what I'm doing. That's not my kingdom. That's not how I'm doing things. So Jesus is speaking of a kingdom, but it's a radically different vision of what that means. He's not speaking of this heavenly, disembodied kingdom, completely isolated from the concrete realities of this world, but a new world order. He's speaking of this new world order coming about in this world, sprouting up around us today that looks radically different from the world order that we are rather familiar with. The reign of Christ is radically different from that of any other king or ruler. That's what we're remembering today. That's what we're bringing before ourselves today and every year with this day. So we got to ask, how is this reign of Christ different? And I think the context of this passage helps us understand this. So like I said, Jesus himself never claims to be king, but other people do label him as king, if we read it closely here. Jesus never actually claims it, but after our reading, Pilate hands Jesus over to his soldiers, and they whip him, and they beat him, and that's when they put the crown of thorns on his head. And they call him king of the Jews. Now, in the context, it's very clear they're not being serious. They're mocking him. They're humiliating him. They're, they're not being serious about this. Because some king he is, I'm wiping the floor with his face. But they still call him king. The writer of the gospel still put that word, that phrase on their lips, king. And I think that's significant. They name him king. He doesn't name himself king, but they name him king. And then after that, Pilate questions Jesus again and gets more frustrating non-answers. And then Pilate, he honestly doesn't want a part of this. This is an inner religious conflict. He wants out of this. But he finally just kind of acquiesces and hands Jesus over to be crucified. And Pilate has a sign nailed above Jesus on the cross there. Do we remember what that sign says? King of the Jews, right? 
Now, the, the, the high priest, the Sanhedrin, they try to get it changed, but Pilate leaves it. King of the Jews, nailed above Jesus on the cross there. And that's significant. Now, Pilate hangs up there. Historically, we would say Pilate hangs up there because that's the charge against him. That's why he's nailed up on the cross. That's so that people can see, if you claim to be king, this is what happens to you. So again, it's not like Pilate's being serious. He doesn't think. But again, the writer of the gospel puts this in the mouth of Pilate. So all the kingship language crescendos up to this peak. Now Jesus' kingship is truly revealed. I think that's what the gospel writer is doing here. Now Jesus' kingship is truly revealed what kind of kingship it is. On the cross, as Jesus is executed in the most humiliating way and hung up as an example to anyone else who would call themselves king, this is the kind of king that Jesus is. When Jesus is lifted up from the earth for execution on the cross, that's when his identity, true identity, is revealed. That is where his kingship is truly revealed. That is where we see who Jesus truly is. It's not a disembodied spiritual thing, but it is a power seen in suffering. A ruler who meets their people in suffering, who joins their people in suffering, and who liberates their people from suffering. The reign of Christ is not found in control of people. The reign of Christ is not found by making making a version of Christian morality the literal law of the land. The reign of Christ does not come when white Christian nations conquer indigenous people and force conversion. The reign of Christ is not about getting political agendas and candidates all passed and elected. That's not what we're talking about here. That's not the kind of kingdom that Christ came to, to start. But Pope Benedict XVI, the Pope before Francis, who's the Pope now, the previous Pope, he talks about what the reign of Christ is. And he said, What does this power of Jesus Christ the King consist? It is not the power of the kings or the great people of this world. It is the divine power to give eternal life, to liberate from evil, to defeat the dominion of death. It is the power of love that can draw good from evil, that can melt the hardened heart. Bring peace amid the harshest conflict and kindle hope in the thickest darkness. The kingdom of grace is never imposed and always respects our freedom. The reign of Christ is radically different from that of any other king or ruler, any other paradigm we have. So may we choose to live under Christ's reign. And that's the key, as the Pope said. The kingdom of grace is never imposed and always respects our freedom. So may we choose to live under Christ's reign. 
The rain that is revealed in death and suffering. The rain that's revealed in solidarity with the poor and with the oppressed. This new world order that stands in stark contrast to the present world order. May we choose to live under that rain, under that order. Now as the church, we live as people currently in the reign of Christ. Currently living there, living out that reality. Not perfectly, certainly not perfectly. But that's what we strive for. A life together in that new world order that Jesus is bringing about. In the future and in the present. So reign of Christ Sunday every year gives us this yearly chance to examine how we're doing in that. Now, as I've thought about this um, this week, James Cone has helped me think about this. James Cone is a, um, oh, a black liberation theologian from the 70s and 80s. He just recently died. Uh, but he, I've been reading his book, A Black Theology of Liberation. And in there, he wrote... The church cannot be the church in isolation from the concrete realities of human suffering. The church cannot be the church in isolation from the concrete realities of human suffering. So when we, King Avenue United Methodist Church, when we stand in and between and among the concrete realities of human suffering, working with and for the liberation of the poor and the oppressed. When we do that, we are living in and under the reign of Christ. And that is where Jesus is to be found. And that is where our life together under the reign of Christ is to be lived. Now, I caught a glimpse of that last night at the Transgender Day of Remembrance service that I was talked about at the beginning. We held a safe space for our transgender siblings um, in this congregation and in the community outside of our walls. We bore witness to the violence and tragedy and oppression inflicted upon, our, upon the, tran- the transgender community for simply being who they know themselves to be. We named and we grieved and we celebrated the lives of the transgender individuals who were killed in the last year. Over 50 in the U.S. and I can't remember the estimated number around the world. And honestly, purely logistically speaking, on our part, it was a relatively simple thing for us to do. I mean, there was some stuff to figure out with the AV, but we, all we did as the church was open up our space and offer our space and our resources for them to use as they saw fit, as they planned, the different trans organizations, as they planned for this sacred day of theirs. But in doing that, I, at least, I caught a glimpse of the reign of Christ as we found ourselves with our trans siblings, in the reign of Christ, with Jesus moving among us and around us and within us. So, may we decide to live under and in the reign of Christ. The reign revealed in suffering, not in power. 
the rain seen in poverty, not in wealth. The rain seen in liberation and not subjugation. Let's pray. O oh Christ, we give you thanks for the glimpses of your reign that we already see in our lives and in our world. We give you thanks for those glimpses and we pray for the strength, the determination, the discernment to choose to live more and more and more into that reign that we may join you with where you already are in this world, among the powerless, among the poor and the oppressed. May we choose to live under your reign, where you truly, truly are, that we may meet you, and that we may be about your work of the liberation of all people. It's in your name we pray, and we all said together, amen.